Bookworms Horror Podcast is sponsored by Creepy Crate. Creepy Crate is a horror and true crime subscription box filled with spooky collectibles, macabre accessories, and terrifying goodies. Each bi-monthly box is filled with over $85 of terror and includes at least one horror or true crime book. This box delivers dread to your doorstep for just $39.99 with free shipping. Go to creepycrate.store to subscribe. Use the code bookworm5 at checkout to get $5 off your subscription. That's bookworm5 for $5 off your subscription. And now to the show. Yeah, so this week I thought we'd go over Robert Heinlein. Is that how you say it? Yes, Heinlein. Because you brought this up. I had said I wanted to do something about finish what you start. And you're like, that's one of Highland's rules. So then I was like, well, why don't we just start at number one and go through all five rules each? Not today. Today we'll do the first mm-hmm. rule. Uh, but before that, let's talk about what we do with bookworms. So bookworms, there is issue two still available. And you can get mm-hmm. that at Etsy. That's bookwormshorror.etsy.com. All these links are in the show notes. But I want to bring up that if you want to get issue one and you're on the East Coast, uh, what's the store in Brooklyn that still has some issue ones? Troubled Sleep in Park Slope. I love Park Slope. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I spent the day there the other day and, oh, we had a great time. Yeah. My wife's from Brooklyn. So, but, like, anytime we go up, we always go to Park Slope and we go uh, eating and, oh, yeah, the food's uh, amazing. We, went, we had, like, an incredible Turkish meal. Mm-hmm unbelievable yeah i know i would probably put on 500 pounds if i lived in brooklyn (laughs) well you walk a lot though because you just walk so much up in new york which i love i know i love that too so bookworms uh we will have one coming out at the end of this month beginning of february we're working on that uh that will be the uh, horror love i guess i don't know what we want to call that my bloody valentine oh yeah that's good my bloody valentine issue um so that's coming out and like I said, you still can get issue two online. But if I think if you're in Newtown, Pennsylvania, we still have some issue were, ones. Yep, there, there was some. I, I was just there, you know, a couple. Whenever we went for our walk. Yeah, so that's Newtown couple. Book and Record Exchange in Newtown Borough. You can definitely pick that up because the reason why I'm saying this is because you can't get it online. There's only the only place you can get issue one now is whatever bookstore has it. Which are those the only two that have it? Or is the Brooklyn? I mean, does Bristol? Uh, the Bristol Books and Bindery may have a couple copies left too. Okay. I, have, I haven't checked in a while, but yeah, that's that's it. Okay, so maybe I was thinking, James, we can do a, like a um, a digest at some point. Yeah. Or we do like a yearly digest. We'll see. Before we get into the rules, we both have YouTube channels. So Regina, I know you just posted a couple things. Well, I just posted a kind of a happy new year video where I talk about what I've been, what I've been doing and what I've been reading, which, you know, kind of did like a bit of a wrap up, not, not officially. And then Matilda has her January horoscopes up. Yeah. So check those and, out. Uh, and I just kind of getting back into the reading and writing swing of things for this new year, which is nice. I will also be posting something on YouTube today, just a a YouTube short. It's a line from Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I'm reading that. 
And oh, I, okay. I just go in and like talk about a sentence or something on a shorts because you can't talk about a whole book on a short, you know. So and that, I want to read your short story that you posted. I have not read that yet, but it's on my list. And actually, that short story I posted, I'm going, it's called Malice in Wonderland or no, in Overland. Oh, I love that. Malice and Overland. But um, if we get to, what are we going to do? Uh, number five rule is you must keep it on the market until sold. So I'm going to keep trying to send that story out. You should, definitely. And uh, we'll talk about that in, when we get to that, that rule. Okay. But, yeah, yeah, I look forward to re- I mean, you told me what it was about, and I was intrigued. So now I get to read it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that's our YouTube channels. Uh, Regina's is the Haunted Library. Mine, make sure you subscribe. Yes, and mine is the Office of Demonology. And I also have a newsletter that will come out, usually comes out every week. And that is also in the show notes. We have an Instagram, Bookworms Horror Zine. That's our Bookworms Horror Instagram. Carney is available. So if you want to go pick that up, we'll have that in the show notes too. So that's Regina's book. Yes, and it's also, it's no longer on sale, but it's on Kindle Unlimited now. Uh, somebody was on, somebody said on Instagram, I forget who it was, because I had posted something and they're like, I picked it up because in Canada, I guess it's a little bit more like a dollar 37 or something versus 99 oh, cents. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's like a bargain. You know, they were like, I've got mm-hmm. it for a dollar 37. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I said that I'm going to make Gina have to buy me coffee to make up for the, <laughs> right. I paid full price, but I don't, I don't mind. Full price is still worth it. I owe you a coffee. Um, yeah. Um, and this podcast, whatever you're listening to it on, if there's a way to review the podcast, if you can give us a five-star review and tell us why you love it, because that helps us reach more people. And that's what we want to do is help more people write. Yep. So let's talk about Robert Heinlein. What do you know about him, Robert Regina? Heinlein. Yeah. I only know that he was a like a pulp and a, I don't mean that in a derogatory way a science fiction writer and maybe some other genres in like the 50s and 60s he wrote starship troopers which is pretty famous i have quite a few of his pulpy looking paperbacks from the 60s i found there there used to be a great bookstore over in burlington which unfortunately closed down that had a lot of like old pulp novels and he was extremely prolific Yes. So he wrote a lot of short, not short stories, but shorter novels than we think about today. Those novels tend to be pretty short. And he uh, had some ideas about, he made a living as a writer. And because of that, he had to work very hard to make his living as a writer. Like he would write constantly and put his stuff out there and was a true professional in that way. And he developed some rules to help writers. Now, there is a story behind the rules. So Dean Wesley Smith, who we had mentioned before. Yeah, I'm on that page uh, right now. Yeah, he he gives the story. That's how I heard about these rules was through his channel a few years ago. And he uh, it was part of, I think it might have been part of a book. Science fiction writers were weighing in about writing tips. And those were Highlands rules. And they kind of stuck. Because they resonated with a lot of writers. Yeah, according to Dean Wesley Smith, it came uh, out in addition of of Worlds Beyond, the science of science fiction writing. And 
Wesley Smith basically says that there's not really anything great, the articles in the book, except for these rules. And they were in there and everything else is sort of forgettable. But these rules, for some reason, everybody, you know, latched onto these. So today we're going to talk about rule number one. And it seems obvious, but rule number one is you must write. Yep. But you know what? That's not as obvious as you might think. Well, because how many people struggle with that very thing and they, they want to write? They, they want to be a writer or, or they aspire to be a writer or they're working on their being a writer. Maybe they're getting their degree, but, they, but they're still not writing, if that makes sense. And what uh, Heinlein had said is these rules are really hard to follow. And that's why he doesn't care that he's giving them out to the to his competition, if you want to look at it that way, because he said, mm, that's interesting. Yeah. He's, they're so hard to follow that. He was like, if you can follow these rules, you're going to be successful is what he was saying. And, and that's most people won't be able to. So he's not afraid of putting it out there. Yes. And it's definitely a message of quantity, not saying over quality, but it is about getting this stuff out. It's like Dean Koontz. When I read his book on writing genre fiction, he really became this incredibly prolific writer because that's what he did all day. Eight hours a day was right. And he would put his stuff out there and he would finish a, a short novel in a week under different pen names. He wrote, he wrote all these different genres until he established himself, I guess, as his own. He started, he was a horror writer, but then he kind of became a mystery, mystery mm-hmm. writer. I guess he still does a little bit of horror, but that's, that's what you do to be that prolific. You and, have to write. And it's obvious in any other art form. And if so, when I was a kid, I picked up the bass, bass guitar and I took lessons, but I, I did every day. I picked up that guitar and I played and I played. And I'm, uh, I can confidently say I am a good bass player, right? I can play really well. I can play stuff that's hard, but I did it all the time you wouldn't expect to be in a band if you don't practice and yes so we talked about that before writing as practice it's it's actually a really good way of approaching it it takes the pressure off to create this masterpiece right out of the gate and it, it it's actually a lot more fun to sit down and put it let's say put a timer on for an hour and say i mean i'm just going to write whatever it doesn't have to be uh, the start of my next novel. It, it doesn't really have to be anything. Just write and see what happens. Yeah, I a think little that, easier said than done. I think Highland was right. His rules are not that easy, but it really kind of gets down to that. Right. And it's, it's obvious with every other thing. Like you want to go play at Carnegie Hall, you got to practice, right? You're not going to end up there. You're not going to just all of a sudden sit down one day. And here's here's the one thing that, a lot of the writers, uh, authors who talk about this, they say that you will, if you are a writer, you will walk around and meet people and maybe you'll tell them you're a writer and everybody will say, oh, you know what? When I get time, I want to sit down and I have a novel in me. Right. And the idea is like, oh, you play guitar? One day I'm going to sit down and I'm going to just write a rock opera. Well, I do say that about playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a rock opera in me, James. It's just a, 
I got to learn how to play the guitar first. Right, but- like Joe, last year, Joe got Joe bought me a really nice keyboard, and I have played a little bit, but I haven't been practicing every day like I should because it's at my studio, and I'm like, oh, I got to go over there and do it. But writing just comes a little more organically to me because I want to do it, and I've always done it. You know, I, I mean, I was a incredible journal keeper my whole you know when I was a kid, so I was always writing, but. Uh, I think there is something about we don't think of writing as practice. And I think we do have that idea of, well, I've got this great screenplay in me. If only I could get someone to write it for me, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, You you wouldn't hear a a violinist saying that. In fact, I lived, when I lived in New York, uh, my neighbor was a professional violinist and she practiced for like six hours a day. And then she would go out to Carnegie Hall at night and play in the orchestra. I mean, she was a true professional. Right. I got this part of a quote from Joanne Ross, and I'm not sure who she must be an author, but she's in this book I have. And it says, no one believes they can pick up a cello and suddenly start playing like Yo-Yo Ma, or that watching every episode of Grey's Anatomy prepares you to perform surgery. Yet so many people seem to believe that the art of writing comes naturally. Mm. And that's true. And that's because we all, at some level, we possess some basic writing skills. And I think that's what people think. They don't see it as an art. It's just like, oh, writing is writing. Right. But if you look, if you look at what you wrote, or I'll speak for myself, if I look at what I, when I started writing, I know I'm a much better writer today because of all that writing I did and all the practicing. I look back at some of my early short stories and cringe, but that I was doing my best at that point, but I'm better now because I've practiced. And you'll hear that from any author, if they're famous or not. I mean, they're going to say, yeah, I can't even read my earlier works, you know, and some don't, mm-hmm. some don't even like once it's done, it's out there. They, they move on to the next thing and they just, that's it. And that's also with film, you know, you know, a lot of directors yes. who won't watch their movies. Or actors who won't watch their movies. Well, I think we, throughout your career, any artist hopefully will have those flashes of inspiration that combine with their craft to make something really special. The great, the best film they've ever done, the best book they've ever written. Mm-hmm. But no one, I mean, I won't say no one because it happens, but very few people just come out of the gate with that first book and, and hit that. It's it's a lot of hard work. But even if they come out of the gate with that first book and hit that, I doubt they sat down, wrote that first book, submitted it, and it got, like, I don't, they still probably wrote six or seven drafts of that, you know? They probably mm-hmm. had multiple failures before that. I don't know of anybody, I, I mean, sure there might be, but who literally just sat down, wrote a book, and submitted it and got it published. I'm sure there I can't think of anyone at the top of my head either, but you know, most um, yeah, people, I'm not going like, to say n- never, but none. <laughs> but you know, it's n- highly unlikely that you're going to do that. And, he, uh, and it's also important to understand. And I know Anne Rice made this. Uh, I saw an interview with her. She used to have great interviews before she died on on posted on her Facebook page, and she said, you know, writing is the only only profession like in the arts where you can start at any age, and you don't need any kind of expensive equipment mm-hmm. and, and you can just begin. And that's true that there is something special about it in that way. As long as you have the basic elements of language, you can 
you can do that. And sometimes, not that I don't recommend studying or going to college, but going to college and studying writing does not necessarily mean that you're writing. Like you have to really put the the effort into your craft, however that's defined. And it doesn't have to be every day. I like to do it every day because I try to, but it regularly. It's like you playing your bass. You got good because you worked on it. Right. And there's days you don't, but I mean, the majority of the time I would pick it up and then maybe for the weekend I didn't play or something. So yeah, you don't, they always say write every day, but it's, it's basically have a habit of writing. Right. Right. And uh, whatever that habit may be for you, maybe you just habitually write on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Maybe you just write on the weekend. I just saw an angry tweet where someone was complaining about being told to write every day. And I'm thinking, well, maybe we should get off Twitter. I was just going to say, you need to get off Twitter or (laughs) X as it's called. Right. Or X because I've wasted so much time scrolling through Twitter. And I mean, uh, that hour that I'm, it is relaxing, I guess, in some ways just sit and scroll, but that could be spent reading or writing. Right. So Ray Bradbury had a commencement speech, 2002 Caltech. And here's what he said. I've written 10 thousands of words that no one will ever see. I had to write them in order to get rid of them. But then I've written a lot of other stuff, too. So the good stuff stays and the old stuff goes. I think that's um, something that I think you need to realize that you will write. Like when we say you must write, it doesn't say you must write well. Right. (laughs) That's true. And that's okay to write a lot of junk. And what he's saying is like, you know, he wrote so much stuff that you'll probably never see because it was to him not good. And eventually the the good stuff rises up, but don't feel like you have to sit at your desk and write like a masterpiece every time. Now I like that. Uh, you know, the idea of this was a surrealist technique of autumn automatic writing. Mm-hmm. I believe it was called where uh, the artist would just sit down with the pen and just it just whatever flows out of that pen is what flows. And that's actually a really good exercise. It could get, get some crazy stuff, but because it was surrealism. So they're not censoring. They're not saying, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So that sentence is weird. No, just, it would just be like words, whatever is coming to your head, just write it out. And you can burn it afterwards. If you <laughs> I just finished reading bird by bird by Anne Lamott. And I'm probably going to do one of these things that she suggested. I'm going to write it, but probably for my kids, you know, like if they want to read it in mm-hmm. the future, but it's like write about your life, like your childhood and stuff like that. And oh, that would be great. Yeah. But I want to use my typewriter, like actually sit at the typewriter and write it mm. um, because I don't want to, I'm not writing it for a publication. I'm not writing it uh, for any other reason, except for to have the the point of this is, uh, it, it's in a chapter about writer's block and you might say, oh, I have writer's block, so I can't write. And the rule is you must write. So if I right. can't think of something to write in that moment, I'm going to sit down to typewriter and just write some memory of my, my, my history. And mm-hmm. that is one way to write. Like, again, we're not saying you must write your novel. 
or you must write whatever you're currently working on. It's you must write. Yes. So I have a journal. I, I write in my journal. Um, I have been revising a story I'm working on. Uh, but I also, when I'm revising, I'm technically, I don't feel like I'm writing. I'm just editing. Mm-hmm. Well, you also write a newsletter every week. Oh, yeah. Well, writing. yeah, I'm writing that now. Yeah. Um, but each time I try to just push a little bit more, just a tiny bit more uh, to see if I can do something different or better. I used to write, I don't know if you remember my old blog, <laughs> not that you would, but I used to write a blog post almost every day, but I wasn't writing fiction then. So one kind of replaced the other, mm-hmm. but that's still writing. I think there's a lot of fear with this first rule. And maybe that's why it is the, the, the simplistic statement you must write. And that is, there's really no getting around that first rule. But no. I do think that there is fear attached to that rule. And maybe we can talk about what, what that is a little bit. I know we've talked about fear in, in writing a bit, but I think that maybe it's the pressure we put on ourselves to write a great book or a great story instead of just, it, you know, the rule isn't you must write a great book. It's no, you must write. It doesn't say what. Right. And when I played bass, I remember one of the first songs I learned was Jumpin' Jack Flash, I think. And the other one would have been Living After Midnight by Judas Priest, maybe. But they're very simple songs. But I remember when I would practice them, it was not easy for me to do that song, right? And Mm -hmm. here's my question. Do you think it's different when it comes to learning music? Because I know what the outcome should be. So I know what Jumpin' Jack Flash sounds like, and I could play along with it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I've mastered that song. I've There's a clear way of knowing you've achieved it. With writing, unless you're writing someone else's book, how do you feel that we get that satisfaction? That we know, because anybody can sit and type and write, but when do you know, like, okay, I did that. Like, I can now play Jumpin' Jack Flash. I'm going to move on to a new one. What do, what do you think that equivalent would be? Because I think that's the hard part, too. Right, because there, that's the thing about writing. There's no, well, there shouldn't be any copy aspect to writing the way there is with learning a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're playing the piano, you, you know, you start with the scales and you work your way up. Um, and you learn songs that other people have written, like, you know, Jumping Jack Flash, and then okay, I, I can do that. And then maybe when you're more advanced, you're writing your own songs, and you're you're using what you what you've learned. But with writing, you can copy some another writer's style, which I do think people do do. You said do do. I mean do do. <laughs> <laughs> I do think people do. I use like three do's in one sentence. Um, so you can. I think when I started writing, I was a lot more stilted in my writing because I was copying other style. Like I wanted to sound more intellectual than I am. So I would model my writing after more of the Victorian novels that I loved when Mm -hmm. I was in college or something or Russian literature. And I was trying to be very highfalutin. 
when I read submissions from younger writers, sometimes I kind of sense that. Or also when I was teaching, you know, I can, I can see when someone's trying to write a little over their skis in a way, like a little, like, yeah, like this isn't really, this isn't really your language. You're trying to sound fancy, but it's better to just be simplistic about the language in a way. And that all comes from, from that, that comes from practice and learning your, your style and your voice develop. I mean, that's one thing that will develop the more you practice. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to know though, and I think that's the difference. It's hard to know uh, when you play an instrument. Uh, I'm, I'll I'll speak as a bass player. I had influences like John um, Entwistle from the Who and Getty Lee, and I would play these songs, and I would get influenced by how they played because I'm playing how the, what they're playing. And then when I write songs, I might write something that's similar to them, but it's much clearer, I think in other arts the same with painting like you can copy a painting but you're right you can't copy you can copy style and there's nothing wrong with saying i'm going to write like stephen king because you don't know what to write and eventually um you will you will figure it out but you have to start somewhere and if it helps you obviously we're not talking about plagiarism but if it helps you to write in a specific style to to write, which is what you must do, then do that. Right. And if you're right, your style will change if you're going to write in different genres too. Yeah. So that, that's another thing, but you're just talking about like uh, style and I, uh, Joe and I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art the other day. We really had a nice day in New York and we went to the Degas Manet show. It's like a combined show. It gets into their relationship, their rivalry how they influenced each other's style, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And seeing, I always like to look at the drawings that are connected with a larger painting because you see the mistakes, you see how they erase things and rearrange the compositions and change this and change that. It's, it's the study that goes into the, the larger work. So that shows that these guys don't just hatch this out of their heads, you know, on the first go. They worked really hard to, Paint like that. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. That's and true. And they practiced a lot. There's a book I have. It's the contact sheets from Magnum, and it's all photography stuff. And what's so amazing about that book is you see the negative of these famous photographs, and then you see like where they cropped it. So like everybody mm-hmm. thinks that this photographer who's super famous and a photo you've seen a hundred times was taken and that's what it was but it's not like they took this picture but later realized they cropped it in a little bit more and it was a better photo and then they in the dark room back in the day they would burn and dodge which is like making areas lighter or darker and so the camera didn't just they didn't just take that picture and there it is that picture was taken and then brought into a dark room and experimented with and cropped in different ways. And eventually they came to something that they felt here is my final photo- photograph. And I think that's missing even in, in that art. That's something that people don't understand. And it's the same thing when writing a book, you know, there's so much that goes into that and the, the editing that when you read that book, that's not what, how it started. And you see those contact sheets, one of, I don't know if you looked at this one, uh, the one of the 
the Fleetwood Mac Rumors album mm-hmm. cover. And you'll see the very awkward poses and thing, pictures are like images are crossed out until they get that great shot and everything kind of falls into place. So, of course, it, it takes it takes a lot of work, but you're not going to get better if you don't write. Yeah, and I think that's why these rules are so hard because mm-hmm. it is a discipline like any other art where you have to sit down and work on your craft and you will get better. It's just not easy to sit there and write garbage, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's the thing that really I struggle with. Like, well, it doesn't have to be garbage. Yeah. But, but I'm not saying it's literal garbage. I'm saying that your brain will think that like, you know what I mean? With uh, that awful person in your brain that talks to you and you're, you're editing and you're like, wow, this is just crap. Like, it sucks, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not saying it literally like if someone else read it, they would say this is garbage, but your brain, we're we're the worst critics. And yeah, so, and I think there is a way, and this is probably another topic, there is a way to utilize that critic to your advantage during the editing process. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Before. Yes, when you're writing uh, your first draft and things like that, when you're sitting down to write, that critic's no good. But when you're editing, the critic... You know, you don't want to be harsh to the point where you're like, you know, jumping out a window. But I think what I struggle with the most is I'm looking at it. I know it can be better, but I don't know how to make it better at that moment. Right. Well, it can always be better. Right. And we'll talk about that next week about about perfection and, and why when you're trying to finish something, it can always be better even when it's finished. So let that we can save that for next yeah, week. But that's a, that's another rule. Yeah, that's next week's rule. I wrote a story called The Fox Sisters and I had published I it. Yeah, I published it on Amazon and no one ever bought it, but someone just bought it like this week. So I'm like, wow, it's on See? Amazon. I think it's ninety nine cents, but uh I I was like, Wow, that's kind of cool. I don't know how that person found it. What you know, did they listen to the podcast? Is it some other way? Um, are you out there? We want to know. <laughs> yeah, that was exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. And that's the thing that's cool about getting your work out there, even if it's just a short story, 99 cent short story. Like, I, I have a, a poetry collection that I put out a couple years ago, and poetry is a pretty tough sell. So, I didn't expect to sell a lot, but some random person read it and left a really beautiful review and really loved it. And that just made me feel so good. I want to just keep uh, writing more poetry, which yeah. I have another collection that's coming up, but yeah. you never know who's going to appreciate it. That's right. And poetry is a hard sell, you know, exactly. Like you're either someone who adores poetry or you're not. I don't think there's a middle ground. No, but I do love like when I was at that indie bookstore, troubled sleep, they had an, like a cool indie poetry section. I don't know if you remember Farley's bookstore in New Hope. Yes. They, they, yes. They what, they're gone? It. No, they're oh. not gone. No, don't. I panicked too when I, I saw that it was closed, but they renovated. It's to me, it's lost some charm, but. So it's not like that old school bookstore where no, things are just everywhere. And I'll have to go up no, and check it out. But check it out. And, and they, uh, they used to at Farley's have that. Remember that section? Now, this is me going back in like the 70s and the 80s with 
indie poetry, but it was, it's kind of like our zine. It was like Xerox copies. Yeah. Wasn't it like if you, I thought it was when you went in, it was like to the left near the register. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to just pick up, I love picking up those uh, poetry books. I'm sure I still have some of them moldering somewhere in a drawer. And there's something just great about it. You're connecting with someone on a level that you don't get when you're just buying like a published work. So a traditionally published work, I should say. Yeah. So let's close the show with revisiting this first rule. You must write. Remember, it's three words. It doesn't say how you must write. It doesn't say what you must write. Or it doesn't say you must write well. Yeah. Just write, period. Just sit down, write. Whatever that is, like Regina said, the automatic writing. Uh, You could be writing something about a history of yourself. It could be a journal. But write and write and write. And next week we'll be back with rule number two. You must finish what you start. Ah. That's my favorite one. <laughs> That's the one that got us started because I need to. Yeah. I, I have two problems. One is f- trying to finish what I start. And the second is when I am frustrated, just finishing it without feeling like it's should like it shouldn't be finished, you know. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that next week. And we'll get into that next week. Check out all the links that we talked about in the beginning of the show in the show notes. And we'll see you in a week. Okay, and write something. Yes. Between now and then. Absolutely. Bye-bye. All right, bye. All our links are in the show notes, and we'll be back next week with a new episode.